Hi, I'm Danny DeQuisto, the pastor of Redemption Church here in Milwaukee. I'm here with our wildly overqualified pastoral assistant, Ron Sanchez, uh, and this is our Mission Talk podcast. Mission Talk is all about helping ordinary Christians think biblically about what God is trying to get done in the world today and the role we get to play as his church in his redemptive work. So far, we have done a lot of work even to survey the story of all of Scripture to see where it's pointing and what is God, in fact, calling us to do. So today, we're going to get to sort of the end of that runway and just consider what ultimately does this mission involve? What do we need to actually go into the world to do? Danny, I've been really looking forward to this particular episode. I enjoy all of our episodes, but as we're considering uh, what the mission is to be about, as we're considering what church is about, it gets really exciting to me when you realize that it really boils down to three things, the proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and multiplying churches. But the question I think that naturally comes in today's Christian world is, why these three? It seems like there's a lot of other things church can be doing. Why these three? It's a great question, and in large part, that's what the point of this episode is. We're going to walk through all three and basically show, here's why these three. But even just reflecting back a little bit on where we've come. Okay, so what we've seen is that God created a world. We rebelled against him. It was filled with sinful nations. He sent his son to be the king of all these nations, uh, which very quickly gets to the gospel that we're going to talk quite a bit about. But but more or less, I, I think what we'll see is that these three things are the key and pivotal way that God is sort of pursuing uh, the, the undoing, if you will, of the fall. And so we'll see all three of them have very specific uh, connections to what the problem was, which we covered, what God's solution is, and then therefore what we should do. But that's the point of this episode. I, I think one one other comment is that, again, based on the work that we've done so far, we've seen this is not just a mission for individual Christians. And that's really important, right? So these three things, of course, each individual Christian has a part to play in them. But first and foremost, they've been entrusted to local churches together. And, and the reason I say those three things and, and, and for these reasons is because if you look at the New Testament— Really, it is the story of these three things unfolding through the lives of local churches. And so I think it's not that there's one book that's written to explain this in the New Testament. I think you see echoes of these things happening certainly throughout the book of Acts, but all of the New Testament, the backstory behind it, driving the whole thing forward, is uh, the people of God preaching the gospel, making disciples, and multiplying churches. Now, I want to be clear to say that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that we do that are important either, right? Right. But it's just as we look at the world and the spiritual condition it's in and God's plan to to sort of undo that, I think we'll find these three things. Certainly there are a lot of other things, good things that churches do, but would, would it be safe to say that it is not unusual for these three things to kind of get lost in the sea of all mm-hmm. the other things that we do, that sometimes we can forget these three? There's no question, and I think that's the case with just any any sort of fallen people who are trying to do something significant together. I think it's very tempting to 
get lost in the details of of the practical everyday life of something and miss the greater purpose and significance. So yeah, no, there's no question, absolutely. And my hope is that by looking to the scriptures to see how important and how central these three things are, I hope it has a sense of kind of renewing that passion in us and just clarifying that vision and purpose. Oh yeah, I like that clarifying because there's a lot of good things. Right. But it's important that we don't lose sight of what is yeah. the most important. I'll just give you a phrase that I've often used in, in just mission contexts and settings before is that mission the work of the mission of the church often involves more than these three things. I mean it I mean it just has to. Um, but it should never revolve around less than these three things. Does that make sense? I think that's a helpful yeah, paradigm totally. as we get into this. It's not that we won't ever buy buildings that need to have the lawn mowed, right? Well, that's not on this list. You know, it's not that we won't ever, you know, uh, have to do communication and in order to facilitate some of the, well, we will, right? But when those things start to become the primary thing and, and, and are, they're happening at the expense of preaching the gospel, making disciples, and multiplying churches, that's, that's what we want to try to avoid for the sake of just this staying mission critical. Yeah. And, and so it begins with the very foundation of what we're about, which is Jesus mm -hmm. and the proclamation of the gospel. That's right. Now, in a conversation that you and I had recently, I've been challenged by uh, a greater understanding, first and foremost, of what is not the gospel, because I'm settled in what that is, but what is a gospel. And yeah. I've found that in understanding what a gospel is, it helps me to even better understand what the gospel is. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I get, I imagine the first question then is, what is a gospel? What is a gospel? Yeah. In the first century, gospels were basically proclamations that went out from a king to his people. And so when we think of the word gospel, and even in our culture, it's almost unanimous, just immediately people think maybe gospel choir or something, but they think Christian, they think church, right? But in the first century, all kinds of kings sent out all kinds of gospels. It was just a, a standard way for sort of a monarch to, to communicate. And so I think we've covered this a little bit even in previous episodes, the idea that a gospel is sort of a, a good news proclamation from a king. And so there's even historical instances, for example, in, in the Greco-Roman world of gospels going out to announce the birth of a firstborn royal son, right? And so this decree would go out and it would kind of, it's like what you think of in a typical movie when it's like the trumpet sound, like we have good news, everybody, here we go. That's what a gospel is. And so it's really significant when you understand that, right? Because... Right. We that's that's what we're basically it's a picture. That's what we're doing. It's not just that the gospel is a set of ideas that gets people saved. I mean, certainly it's not less than that. Um, but there's a sort of historical context that help us to understand we are announcing the kingship of Jesus. Wow. We are announcing to the world full of raging nations, by the way. Right. That there is a new king of all these raging nations. And that's good news. Uh, if you will repent and believe in the gospel, right? We're announcing that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to King Jesus, who rules and reigns from heaven. He is preeminent over all. And so that, at the, at the base level, 
that's just what a gospel even is. So it's an announcement yep. of good news. Yep. Um, but the gospel yes. is, is the joyful message from God mm-hmm. that leads a person to salvation. Yes. So I think it's so cool how we understand that. So when I, I guess, so when hey, I'm Jesus... Cu- I'm curious if we could, like you, I've heard you use that phrase. Like, where does that come from? Is there, is there a source to that? Yeah, that actually comes from, from Max Stiles' Evangelism. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, that's a great little book. It is the best book on yeah. evangelism. Well, while we're talking about ever. proclaiming the gospel, let's make a recommendation here. Yeah. Max Stiles, it's a little nine mark series book, a little red book on evangelism. And, and I have to agree, I, we, I've used that in the past in training church members for evangelism. It's one of the best. I have, I have uh, searched high and low and participated in numerous approaches to evangelism. And that book, I kid you not, after years of being a Christian and a pastor, that book revolutionized yeah. my thinking and understanding of preaching the gospel because it, it just encapsulates yeah. it in such a succinct I agree. manner. I agree. It's So wonderful. yeah, check that out for sure. And we're not going to have a lot of time, unfortunately, in this episode to dive into the nuts and bolts of evangelism because we got a lot of Bible talk. But I, please, let's do if that. you're listening sometimes, uh, well, absolutely, let's do that. And if you're listening and you want more of that, I would just commend that book to you, so we can maybe put the link in the show notes. Sounds good. So what people is the do gospel? that with these podcasts? Yeah. I've heard so. they're always referring to that. I like that, <laughs> and we want to sound like we know what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, if you're putting links in the show notes, <laughs> that's the key. So, what is the gospel? Yeah. So, so again, yeah, a gospel is the a message from a king, but we have a particular king, and he has a particular message, which I think we're going to see is rooted in some particular historical events of the past. And that's about the first thing I would say about this particular gospel is it's not just a philosophy. I think it's very easy within the realm of spiritual living and anecdotes to how to live a spirit that the gospel becomes. Oh, this is kind of my approach to living. No. It, it's not that at all. It actually has nothing to do with how we go about living. It has to do with what God has done in the life, death, and resurrection of, of Jesus. Amen. And so basically, it is this declaration that in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, this whole kitten caboodle we've been talking about has come to its final climax. What happened in the cross and in the, in the empty tomb is the solution to go back and and sort of unravel the effects of the fall from all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And so I would just point us first to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll just read this for us briefly to get a sense of what is this gospel. Uh, Paul says, uh, and and by the way, I should say, the reason I go here is because Paul just says, this is the gospel. <laughs> it's the one of the, it's one of the clearest places in the New Testament where he says, uh, "I'll just I'll just read it for you." But he says, "Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you." He says, "Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you." And then qualification, unless you believed in vain. And then he just explains. Here it is, right. For I delivered to you, and then first he says, as of first importance. That's another reason we're looking here. Paul is defining. Then there's another reason why this is number one in the whole thing. Literally, Paul just says, I delivered to you the message, which is of first importance. It's this gospel. 
And he says, what I also received, and here's his definition of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And then it just goes on to talk about what, what unfolded basically after the death and resurrection. But what I want to point out here is two things. Number one, he, the, the, the content of the message are, is, is a set of historical truth claims about who Jesus is and what he accomplished. Ultimately, that is the heart of the gospel. And the other thing I want to point out is this repetition of the phrase, according to the scriptures, right? Frankly, this is why we are but three, almost, what, four episodes into this, and we haven't even gotten to what we're supposed to do, is because the good news is rooted in what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done is the ultimate climactic fulfillment of what we have anticipated throughout all of the scriptures. And so that would be my first place to go to understand what the gospel is. It is the message of salvation. Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, rooted in what he specifically has done um, in order to accomplish our salvation. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so it's, there, I like that it's the message that leads to salvation. The message is not just, hey, you can be saved. The message is Christ died for our sins, uh, that he was buried even. That detail, him, him being put in the ground is essential to what the message is. What what do they what do, what do we say after the trumpets? Good news. There's a king. His name is Jesus. He's the king of all nations. He died for your sins, our sins. He was buried and he rose on the third day all in accordance with God's revelation in the scriptures. That's what the gospel is. And so if you get to the making disciples and multiplying churches without starting at the proclaiming or really understanding the yeah. gospel you're to proclaim, you, you just may as well pack it up and go home. That's right. Because ultimately, discipleship is about following King Jesus. It's about, it's about conforming your life to his patterns and his teachings. And so we can't even begin to do that if we're still dead in our sins. This is the message that leads to life. It's This is the, the, the proclamation of God's word that creates spiritual life in someone. And so, yeah, I, I agree on that. I, I think it's really important for us to be clear about what conversion is. Uh, we need to hear the gospel, believe it in faith, repent of our sins, and trust in Christ. This really begins a new spiritual life altogether, which is about discipleship. So, yeah, no doubt. Is there a way that... Um that we can know that proclaiming that message is our top priority from Scripture? Yeah. Well, I think we covered it a little bit in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Paul just said so. I delivered to you as of first importance. So in Paul's own words, the one who is basically the prototype of what a missionary is and and the one whose ministry itself really shapes out the whole shape of the New Testament, right. he told us, this is what I told you, this is the most important thing. And so that, that's the first evidence, but I would also look even to, to the Gospels itself, where Mark begins his Gospel in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. He says, now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's near. And he says, repent and believe in the Gospel. So this is how Mark summarizes sort of the 
inauguration, if you will, of Jesus' ministry. This is central to what Jesus does throughout the entire story of his ministry and his life, is to I, proclaim I'd say, the gospel. I'd say, too, it's somewhat significant who said that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus right. said that. He came proclaiming that about himself. That's right. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king yeah. is at hand. By virtue of his being a living, breathing human on this planet, it's here. Wow. It's a close. It's at hand. Now, you st- what's so cool about the Gospels is you start to see that increasingly as, as the story goes on, and it makes sense more and more as you go. But he, here, he, he's proclaiming the Gospel, the good news of King God, right? The, yeah. the Gospel of God. Yeah. This is the idea, even all the way back to the beginning, of dominion. We were supposed to have dominion on God's behalf. We ruined it. Well, he's back to get to that dominion back. <laughs> he's here to reclaim that dominion, and, and who is he sent to do it? His beloved son. Yeah, yeah I, and I think that that's so important because it's so easy to say, well, that was Paul's idea. No, no. That, yeah. was, that was God's idea from the very beginning. That's right. And the king who became man, fully God, fully yeah. man, proclaimed it. That's right. So he's the one that got the ball rolling. Yeah, so Paul didn't just make this idea up, right? Yeah, Paul right. is carrying on the work and ministry of Christ. Um, yeah, no doubt. And any other, uh, what other passages come to mind for you, Ron, here, when you, when you think about uh, glimpses into why this is so important? Well, I think of Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, uh, where Matthew writes, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, huh. and then the end will come. That's interesting, right? So this gospel which is usually from a king to his people, is now going out as a testimony to all nations. So this, this, this king doesn't just have a, a, a message of good news for his nation. He has a message of good news for all these raging nations, right? So you can see, again, it's, it's not just that, hey, this is kind of important way to grow your church. <laughs> this is way bigger deal than right. that, right? This is God's plan to bring all of his creation back under his rule and reign. It's amazing. Just, it is fascinating. It, it never it. gets old. It never gets old. Well, I think I think the one reference that I often think about is in Second Corinthians chapter five, verses eighteen through twenty-one, and it's a verse that we think of often as it relates to our own conversion, mm-hmm. where Paul says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come." Mm-hmm. And of course, we know that that can only come. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and the Word of God proclaims yeah. the message of Christ. But what is so significant in these verses to me is that, you know, oftentimes we can tend to stop there, right. but he goes on to say, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself mm-hmm. and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, wow. which which is the transition right into the making of disciples. In other yeah. words, well, I'm just saved. Now I'm just going to hang out till Jesus comes back. It right. doesn't work that way. Right. Or in other words, in one, on one hand, God is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus, right? There's no question about that. That's what our conversion is about. Now, on the other hand, we are now included in that process. See, this is the point. What does it involve? What, why are we doing this even? And what we see is it's, it's all part of God's plan to reconcile all things. And he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. He's brought us into it. Yeah. He's given us a role. And I, I think when I started thinking of the gospel, preaching the gospel this way, rather than, uh, I got I to gotta preach the gospel, 
But when I started thinking that I've been given the, as an ambassador in, of, for Christ, he says, mm-hmm. I've been given this ministry of participating through people's faith in Christ in the reconciliation of fallen man to a holy God. Right. That's what's going on when you think about opening your mouth and talking to your neighbor about it's Jesus. so awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it should give us a sense of, oh, wow. Um, I get to gra- do that. I, I get to do it, but even out of gratitude that I'm a part of this being reconciled creation. <laughs> and as a part of this, as a new creation, I get to be part of reconciling the rest of creation. It's just incredible. And I love that he, he continues here, if I could just continue on in the reference. That is, he says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, he says, we are ambassadors of Christ. What is an ambassador? A representative. Of? Of uh, a, a ruler or a king. That's right. Yeah, yeah I mean, we recently Jesus. just got out of Afghanistan, and as far as I understand, we had an embassy there. Right. It was evacuated. Uh that embassy is a place which represents the the rule and reign of the United States of America. This is our little slice of our country in your country, basically. And so, what we what are we on behalf of Christ? We're ambassadors. We don't lo- we no longer have a nation to fit into in this world because we are part of the kingdom of God, and we now are representatives of that kingdom of God, which is what we're doing when we proclaim the good news of Jesus. We're representing Him. We're we're speaking on behalf of His kingdom. And, and But this is exactly what he says we're doing. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. I mean, that'll, that'll get you going and motivate you to do evangelism, right? Wow. As we proclaim the gospel, it is God himself who is proclaiming this message through us. And, and then next, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, which is what an ambassador does, um, the president doesn't show up in Afghanistan to proclaim things. His ambassadors proclaim it for him, right? We implore you on behalf of Christ, here's what it is, be reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. This is the message we have for the world. Be reconciled to God. How do you do it? By grace through faith in the death and resurrection of King Jesus. Danny, if I had to pick one verse to just stand on for the rest of my life, it'd be Second Corinthians 5.21. Hmm. Because he goes on to say, right after he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. He says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. And that is speaking to the underlying spiritual significance of the cross, Amen. of his death and his resurrection. He made him to be sin. He nailed him to the cross, and with him he nailed our record of sin. He conquered it. He triumphed over it in the resurrection. And this is the good news of the gospel. Amen. So, Danny, how can the average Christian be a part of this mission of the church to proclaim the gospel. Once you understand it, how how does an individual Christian go about proclaiming yeah. 
the message. Yeah, it's a helpful way to frame the question because I think a lot of Christians will think, okay, I just got to go talk to people about Jesus. Certainly it's not less than that again. But there is a sense in which this mission, even to proclaim the gospel, has not just been entrusted to them individually. It's been entrusted to their local church. They're in covenant with their local church in order to together proclaim the gospel, right? So even one really simple practical way we're trying to do this even this summer was to do some community cookouts where we have people from our church inviting people from their lives to be together. Our hope is that relationships could form, their connections would be formed, where the word of Christ can be proclaimed. The good news of who Jesus is can be shared. Doesn't necessarily have to be in that cookout, right? But part of what I mean by this is even in the way our social lives are organized uh, and and the, the time we spend with people who don't know Jesus, all of that has to do with our opportunity here to preach the gospel. So I would encourage you, first of all, to consider just taking the next step of being intentional about having meaningful spiritual conversations with the non-Christians in your life. But I would also drive and guide those evangelistic conversations to the life of your church. So I think there's so much... Uh, about the local church that's meant to relieve even uh, the burden of trying to engage the world with this gospel. Of If somebody thinks you're kind of crazy because you believe this, I think there's something really natural and compelling about being able to say, oh yeah, it's not just me. Listen, come on Sunday. There's, what, 90 of us that, that gather every Sunday who believe this, and, and that's what we're doing when we get together and worship. So there's a way which our life together should sort of support our evangelism. Um. But yeah, I would say, uh, but, but apart from that, it's just how can we get in rooms and in conversations with people who don't believe the gospel, and how can we lovingly, patiently move them toward the truth that Jesus died and rose again to reconcile them, and now he reigns as king? So when it comes to making disciples, then, of course, we're drawn to the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus uh, comes to them just prior to his ascension into heaven uh, after his death and resurrection, and he acknowledges that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him, and then he commissions the church, basically, the early leaders of the church, and then for it to be followed, go therefore, he said, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then gives very clear directions as to what that discipling looks like, teaching them, Jesus said, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Absolutely. Yeah, and so this brings us a little bit past that uh, initial process of proclaiming the gospel to those who don't know Christ and into this 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 more ongoing all-of-life process of becoming more like Christ. And this is where we see that take shape. Now, it's worth remem- remembering, just when we talked about the gospel, in Matthew 24, Jesus already told us that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So, this is not a replacement or coinciding. It more or less is is part and parcel. You preach the gospel in order to make disciples, but the making of those disciples will involve this ongoing process of teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. Now, the gospel still remains central to the work of discipleship. 
the good news that we've been delivered out of the kingdom, and we've seen this in Colossians, right? He says over and over again, abounding in thanksgiving. It's, it's our gratitude. It's our ongoing faith in the gospel that really is working itself out in the process of discipleship. But it requires these relationships with Christians, ideally and primarily, I think, within the context of a local church, to engage in becoming more like Jesus, knowing him more by the truth of Scripture, and trying to apply the grace of the gospel to every aspect of their life. How do they spend their money? What is, how does the gospel change that? How do they have conflicts with their spouse? How does the gospel change that? How should they in, engage in the work that they do? How does the gospel change that? Um, and so that's really what we see, I think, in broad strokes here with the task of discipleship is helping followers of Jesus to follow Jesus. So it's, 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 uh, it's about how we live our lives. It's not about a program. It's not about what we're doing at church. Yeah, well, and I want to, yeah, I, I think in a, in a sense, I see where you're going, and I think that's right. Um, I think there's a danger, probably, in, I think sometimes we think of discipleship as sort of a, a department of the church, right? And you, you hire somebody, and you give it to them, and they manage the programs, and that's what discipleship is. No question, there's a danger in reducing discipleship down to that. Uh, well, let me just ask it to you. What, why is that a danger, do you think? Well, I think the biggest danger is that you begin to rely on the program rather than on the Holy Spirit who should be directing the discipleship process. Yeah. Uh, you, you can easily fall into the doing rather than the being. Mm-hmm. It's through the being a Christian that people are attracted to yeah. the gospel. No doubt. Well, I think typically programs are going to be defined often by the content, a teaching, a, a study, a Bible study. And, and again, content is certainly important. This is certainly all according to the Word of God. But it's more than just an exchange of content, right? It, I guess a good illustration that just came to mind for me here is, is to say that I'm only parenting my kids during the quote-unquote parenting moments of parenting. When I sit down and say, hey, we got to have a moment, we got to talk about it. Now, of course, yeah, I, I'm d- delivering some specific content in those parenting moments, but I'm parenting my kids in everything we do in how much time we spend with family and friends and what we do and how I expect them to... Everything is, is, is parenting. And I think all of life in the same way is discipleship. In my mind, I think that the, the danger of the program-centric model of discipleship is that it's easy for Christians to show up to the event you told them to go to. Uh, it's every week at 7 o'clock on Tuesday nights. They do the reading. They come with their notes, right? But... Um, Meanwhile, their marriage is a mess. Uh, they're struggling to maintain it, have a job. You know, their their neighbors don't respect them. Uh, they're they're struggling as parents, right? All these things, which are right, that is, those are the way the areas where we're we're to be putting the glory of the gospel on display. Those are the parts of us and our lives that are supposed to be changed. You can keep showing up to the Bible study, and if you give people the impression that just by coming to the Bible study, they're they're following Jesus and doing discipleship in and of itself, then I, I think it, it, it sort of short, wire, short circuits their own thought process of what it means to follow Jesus. I've heard you say before that you've not finished discipling someone mm-hmm. until they can disciple someone else. Can yeah, you and I want to that be, just a little bit? Yeah, I want to be really clear. I heard that from somebody. I don't even know who it was, okay. but I don't want to take credit for that. Um, but yeah, no, I think that part of discipling 
is helping other Christians to disciple. And this is the concept of bearing much fruit. What kind of spiritual good are you trying to bring about in the lives of others, right? The point of being discipled is not just that you would know the Bible more and become a more uh, Christ-like individual. Part of the discipleship task is to include you in this ministry of reconciliation we've been getting to give you an active part to play uh, in that. And so, yeah, certainly I think you, you want to entrust these messages to faithful brothers and sisters who can entrust them to faithful brothers. There's a handing down of the gospel, this message once for all given to the saints, and it, we're all kind of swept up in this process of, of making disciples, but the end game is to see more disciples made. And I think really ultimately uh, true maturity in following Jesus will lead to, a, to an increased desire to see the gospel proclaimed and see more disciples made. And it seems like uh, you've laid a foundation uh, for the fact that this ongoing discipleship takes place in the local church, which seems to be leading to our, our third item and, and answering the question that how can the average Christian be a part of the church's mission to make disciples? Yeah, this one is, yeah, this one's a piece of cake. I mean, everything we do as a local church is meant to shape disciples everything we do. And so this is my point too. If we think of it as a department of the church, well, we're not going to put Sunday services in that. Well, Sunday services is one of the most formative aspects of a person's discipleship. And not just again, because of what's said from the front, but even just the process of sitting next to a brother who's uh, got a great burden that you can help them carry or kind of checking in on someone else in their grief or whatever it is. I mean, this is the context and, and the way that discipleship happens. So I think one practical example is sh it should inform how we even show up to church on Sundays, right? How can you be invested practically in making disciples is to show up to church eager to look into the lives of those who are there with you and eager to, to see where they are in their own pursuit of Jesus and eager to ask the question, well, how can I help them take sort of next steps into growing and becoming more like him? Uh, I mean, that is super, super simple. I mean, the, when it comes to practical next steps in this, it's just how can we organize our everyday lives so that God's people are regularly in our minds, in our hearts, in our text message threads, in our homes? And, and more than that, how can we not just spend good social time together, but how can we develop meaningful spiritual relationships where we're talking about the Bible, we're trying to apply the truths of God's word to our life, and ultimately we're trying to observe all that Jesus has commanded. So then why doesn't it stop there? In other words, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. He didn't say, go therefore and multiply churches. Yeah. So where yeah. does the third element come into play? The multiplication of churches. Yeah, I, I mean, basically, this is how the story unfolds. So yes, you're right. He doesn't commission them to go and multiply churches. And yet, if you just read on to the book of Acts, everywhere they go proclaiming the gospel, you just read on another chapter and, oh, there's the church in that town. Everywhere they go, they preach the gospel, and as people repent and believe it, they're joined and they're gathered together into these local church communities. So some examples of that, in, in, the, in the book of Acts chapter 15, 
uh, Paul, it says, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So this is what he was about. In Acts 16, it says, so the churches, plural, were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And so the daily increasing of the numbers of these individual churches, right? This is the outflow of what Paul was doing. So that would be my first answer is if you just read the story, this is how it unfolds. But also the the fact of Jesus having having an invested interest in his church should not be a surprise to us if we go back to Matthew 16. He says, he promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then, of course, I think we we would be remiss if we forgot the first part of the Great Commission, which was going to all the world right. and make disciples of all nations, beginning Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right. So clearly there is a mandate to multiply to, churches. Well, right, but I think the point is, you, you, in or theory... Or mul- multiply disciples yes. who would in turn... And this is the point, I think, churches. the problem for us is that in modern culture, we, we, have, we have too much of a context for a disciple who's not a member of a church. But I think if you just look at the, old, the New Testament, I just don't think that's really even a concept. The part of what it is to follow Jesus is to follow him within the blood-bought community of his church. And that's ultimately when we start talking about ordinances. That's what baptism is about. It's, baptism is not just sort of a supercharged quiet time with water. It's not just a way for you to connect with God. It's actually a, a being welcomed into this new covenant family. Same with the Lord's Supper. It's not just a way for you to celebrate your faith in Christ. It, it's certainly, again, not less than that, but it's meant to, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, we who are many are one. Why? Because we eat of the one bread. The one bread represents the body that we're all joined to, and this is all meant to take place within these communities which have been entrusted with the keys to Christ's kingdom. And so ultimately, when we miss the multiplication of churches, we are, we're basically cutting the legs out from underneath this mission and how it would take shape. And at, at, I mean, most charitably, I guess, we're at least limiting the generational impact that our ministry would have, right? Because if you just show up and you make a few disciples, but you don't gather them together in a local church, well, they're going to go about their lives. They're going to move over here and take a job somewhere else. And there's going to be nothing to show of that gospel ministry in maybe even these days, five, 10 years. But as we're developing these communities that work together and multiply, you see this ministry of reconciliation just compounding and compounding and compounding and in, in seeing um, God doing this in redeeming sinners, not just individually, but redeeming them into these churches, which are embassies of his kingdom. And then you have to factor in the epistles, which were letters that were written to these churches that had been multiplied. And in many instances, they were letters that were intended to be read in multiple churches. That's so you right. have to factor that in as well. Yeah, well, yeah, all of them were, were two and four churches in one way, shape, or form. A lot of them are written to one church. Like, what are some examples of that? Uh, Romans, Corinthians, Colossians, which we're reading right now. These are all letters written to one specific local church even addressing particulars of their life together, which shows us, again, this was important. Um, some of them are also written to, a lar- to be passed from one church to another, but they're all still four churches, right? So uh, one example that comes to mind is First Peter. Uh, that's a ge- general epistle. It's written for a number of different churches to be passed on, and yet in that letter he says, to the elders among you. So he's addressing specific people who serve within the local church. Um, 
yeah, I mean, in Romans 16, uh, Paul tells this local church, all the churches of Christ greet you. So that gives you a glimpse into how important he thought this was, right? This collection of local churches that was growing. In 1 Corinthians, after giving some specific instruction, he says, this is my rule in all the churches, right? Um, I remember in 2 Corinthians, he opens up about his own personal stress in ministry. He says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so Paul was burdened to see local churches multiplied, uh, not just to preach the gospel and to make disciples. So, Danny, I think a, a great way to kind of wrap things up and conclude this episode would, would be just to answer the question, okay, how about, how can the average Christian be a part of the church's mission to multiply churches? How yeah. can, you know, Joe or Betty, um, Christians sitting in the, in the pews on uh, Sunday mornings, how can they be a part of multiplying local churches? Yeah. Yeah, this one can be a, maybe seem, at least, a little more indirect, I guess, a little less direct, I should say, than the other ones. Um, because in large part, I think if local churches are entrusted to multiply churches, well, guys like us who are serving as pastors or elders, are, we're going to have a disproportionate investment in this process. We're going to be the ones that are trying to work to see leaders developed and try and pray about opportunities to do that. And so there, there's a little bit more centralization, I guess, often in this. But I think some really practical ways are one, try to find a church that is eager to multiply churches. Try to find a church that sees the local church being the true embodiment of this mission, that it's been entrusted with the keys to the kingdom. Have a, Find a church that doesn't just try and tell you, hey, you know, we do church in a different way that makes it much, much easier for you. We've kind of lowered the bar and made it real easy. Well, so I just come on, we got the right stuff. It's going to have a consumer mentality, basically. Find a church that calls people to repent of their sins, to trust in Christ, to follow Jesus in all of life, and to do that as a real community with a passion to multiply those communities. So just, in if you're, I guess one application is when you're looking for church, try and find a church that believes that and that really actually wants to do that. It's not just some sort of pipe dream someday that, hey, if, if, if things go well enough, then maybe we'll get to that. But this is part of their involvement in the reconciliation of God uh, and, and him reconciling all things. And so, and then the other thing is when you find that church, just encourage that process. You know, uh, if you have friends who are missionaries doing this around the world, connect, uh, share that ministry, um, have them over to your house if they're in town, pray for them, talk with them, uh, follow along with their ministry. It also, I would say, if and when your church gets ready to plant a church, prayerfully consider going. You know, I would say uh, consider, I, I would encourage every Christian to be a part of the church planting process at one point or another in their life. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I would agree. be a part of that team that sits down at a table and all they've got figured out is what's at that table and prayerfully considering and asking God to work through their proclamation of the gospel and their love for one another to see others redeemed into this blood-bought community and to see God raise up a church. Man, that has been one of the deepest and greatest joys of my life thus far is to see God do that. And I think every Christian would be served well and they'd get a better sense of, I think, practically what this unfolding work of God's is 
by being a part of a church plant. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So proclaim the gospel, make disciples, and multiply churches. Mm-hmm. And and every time we do a podcast like this, we come up with about two or three other, I think we could do one on evangelism, discipleship, yep. uh, the proclaiming of the gospel, yeah. um, and, uh, and, and the practicalities of multiplying. There's so many different things yeah. we could talk about. So been a great, uh, great discussion. Appreciate you sharing. Absolutely, Ron. Thanks so much for, for leading the way. 